0: We are live, and it doesn't look like it. They can see, probably. Hello, Internet. Hello, Internet, <laughs> says Emma. Excellent. Um, welcome. Everyone coming in. And would you get, Trinity, my coffee is on top of the organ. Not the best place to put it, Oops. and not the best place to leave it. I know. It's a flat surface that's stable in that room, comparatively. <laughs> um, so, all right. We're missing a few people tonight, but not too many. Um, my, my concern is always this, like how much do we press forward in ideas while leaving behind individuals, right? And we're not treating this like confirmation or life as a Christian, the knowledge of God is a matter of the bullet points and you got to get all the bullet points right or else you aren't really a Christian. Um, that's I don't think that's a very helpful thing, so we don't want to treat it that way. And yet there is something about faith being built upon a foundation that is certain things, and then other things kind of grow on top of that. And what I don't want to do is either for those who would miss a week here or there, or even just for you listening, go ahead when you're not ready to go ahead. Um, now, the double difficulty is that all growth in the faith is going to be, to some extent, an individual experience. So some people will have spent more time pondering the things of God, and some people will not have. And as a result, some things might be like, duh, I know that. And yet for other people, it may be brand new, and wow, I've never heard that before. But my real goal with this, and we talked about this last week, is is not just your individual growth in the faith, it's your group growth in the faith, Uh, that as a congregation, we would as a whole understand what we believe more. Again, not as a list of things that we can go to others and say, look how right we are and look how wrong you are, but as the substance of our confidence in Christ, that when other Christians are fearing, we can be bold. Uh, And when non-Christians are either doubting or being skeptics or attacking, uh, we can have the courage to, to stand firm and speak back to them. Um, And so that's that's really our goal then, that as a congregation we would know God uh, with confidence. Remember now too, so knowing God, I don't know if this is going to set up right, nope. Knowing God is just another way of saying theology. And so another one of my goals here is not to get rid of old words. I think we should know the old words. But I don't want the old words to get in the way. Hello, Josie. I don't want the old words to get in the way of the meaning they're there to tell us. So if we're hung up on like what that word means, and every time you see it, you have to stop and think, what does that mean, then it's not really being very helpful to us. As opposed to, I don't think anybody could be too confused about the idea of knowing God. But then that, that gets straight at the heart of things. What does it mean to know God? How do you know God? Do you know God? Do you just think you know God? Uh, what about other people who say they know God but claim to trust in a different God? Um, I can't remember if I shared this on Sunday morning or not. Um, no, it couldn't have been because it happened Sunday night. Sunday evening. Um, oh, this is interesting. I've had a Roman Catholic week. It's very interesting. Um, Sunday evening, I, I I needed to do more things, um, and it Sunday afternoon and evening is not a time a pastor normally has a lot of energy, but I needed to do more, and so I bribed myself, I, I drove down to Oregon to uh, Bad Ash Cigars, I got a cigar, the games were on, so there's a bunch of guys in there, I figured I'd put my headphones on, I'd get my work done, but um, I was not in my collar, but word has gotten around down there that I'm a pastor, and uh, there was a gentleman... Uh, who, who decided that now was a good time to, to let me know what he thought about that. And this guy was a very, very nice guy. Uh, he was Roman Catholic, and he'd had a fair amount of whiskey. Um, and so yeah, he came up to me, and he began talking to me. You're a pastor, yes. Where are you, pastor, at? Which, side note, I tried to show him our website, and it wasn't there. And I discovered our card had lapsed, and so our website had been down for seven days. Yeah, it's back up now. <laughs> it blew my mind. Hmm? Hmm? Yeah. It's up now again. So he helped me in that regard because it would probably still be down. I wouldn't have checked it. But anyway. But he he immediately wanted to begin teaching me how to preach, which I found very interesting too. And this is a common thing. Uh, I meet someone out in the world, they find a pastor, they decide, here's how you need to preach to get people to come to your church. And they've never heard me talk, they've never come to my church, but they know. Anyhow. So he starts he starts talking to me about this and telling me how he's a Roman Catholic, and how he's had good priests and bad priests in his favor. But it it doesn't take long before he starts saying things like this. He starts saying, we're all trying to be good people. What really matters is that you just do your best at what you're trying to do, and we'll all eventually get to the same place anyway. Which is not Roman Catholic teaching, by the way, at least not officially speaking. So it's a meme. it's maybe this is not that helpful as a term. It is, but it's, it's technical. Therapeutic, moralistic, therapeutic deism. Um, See, so even this is like totally needs to be translated. What is this? Um, virtue signaling, uh, feel good, uh, God believing, or like non atheism, right? Uh and it, this is the the common knowing god of America. Most people when they say I love God, that's what they mean. They mean there's some virtues that I have that other people should have that I go to God cuz he's going to help me feel better about life and God is this it exists and we should all just assume he exists, but he's not you can't pin him down. You can't put him in a box. Yes. Um you cannot say to others that you have the right God and they have the wrong God. I gently tried to navigate the conversation back to the person of Jesus and his resurrection and how I believe that's different and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And he affirmed those things. He was fully able to say, yes, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord. But then he still wanted to say things like, but other people may not know that and that's okay. Which is a really interesting disconnect in the head, right? That's not a reasonable thing, Um, but something that has been uh, noticed about American religiosity, American spirituality, is that it doesn't mind being inconsistent. It's really insistent that you must be a science believer when it comes to evolution, at least in theory. Uh, But when it comes to God, reason doesn't matter. And if you've gone into the I believe in God world, you're actually leaving reason behind, and it's instead whatever you like and whatever you want. And if it conflicts with itself, that's fine as long as it makes you feel good. Now, I think that's kind of foolhardy, but what I want to get us to... Is that my phone ringing? No, okay, good. <laughs> well, if it was mine, it would be in the middle of the, like, the stream and all that. So what what I want us to get us thinking about, again, is that that theology is all around us. Knowing God is all around us, but which God? Which God? Um, and how would you know? How would you say your God is the true God? If this guy is reading a book from God, how would he know that's the right book? That reminds me of another story. I, I, was, um, I was a young English high school English teacher in eastern Los Angeles at Laverne Lutheran High School. Taught one year of English there. And in my free period when I wasn't trying to balance my checkbook um, you know, and, and keep up with class, uh, I would go on to a forum and argue about Christianity with other Christians. So This is bef- way before Facebook. right? All you had on the internet was like AOL, chat rooms, and then these forums. You can still find forums today, but they're not like the main part of the internet. But that was like all there was back then. And I remember being in an argument with somebody who was asking me, trying to make me defend why I believe the Bible was true. And I said, it's because com- it's from God. And he said, okay, well, the Quran is from God too. The Quran is the holy book of Islam. Right? So Quran is the Islamic scriptures. Or you could call it the Islamic Bible. It is sayings of Muhammad that were written down. He did not write it. They were written down by those who heard him. Um, so he said, Well, the, the Quran is that. And I said, Well, no, that's not from God. He said, Why not? I said, Because um, it, I know, it didn't really happen, it, it was all made up. And he said, well, that's the, what the Bible is, the Quran is true, and what you did is all made up. And so what he did for the entire argument was whatever I argued, he just argued the same thing back. Does that make sense? Like he took what I said about the Bible, and he said the same thing about the Quran, and he was trying to demonstrate how I had nothing to stand on aside from my assertion that it was true. I believe it's true, therefore it's true, and you're wrong. And the thing was he, was, he was right about the way I was arguing. I had no defense. I had no way to prove the Bible was true aside from just saying, it is. It's the one from God, the other one's not. Um, today, if I had that argument, I would go toward history rather than just toward saying it's true. I would talk about how archaeology, has shown us where the Bible comes from. I've talked about the resurrection of Jesus, and that's the real matter. It's not which book's the right holy book. It's which man rose from the dead, right? You go there first. But I think we need to be prepared for this kind of thinking. Just because you say you have a holy book or holy scriptures doesn't mean anything. Other people have them too. Why is ours different? What's the different thing about our God? And I already said, and you know, the answer is, there's a man named Jesus who's not dead anymore. That, that's the nugget. I'm going to keep saying it, though, until it gets beat into your brain. Because huh? at the moment when you're in a conversation about it, you want to be able to remember that thing. You want it to be like a well-trained free throw uh, or whatever, whatever you're doing sports or, or music-wise. You want it to be trained muscle memory. The reason that I know God is Jesus. So we'll, we'll keep coming back to that more. Um, remember, this class... Is not intended to be me just going as far and fast as I want to go. That's Sunday morning. So please feel free to interrupt me, stop me, question me, um, make this thing slow down. We are also every week as a structure going to have, I'll have laid out for us uh, something from the Proverbs, something from the Augsburg Confession, uh, connected to today and today's media and what's going on in the world and then something from the epistles to kind of close us up and, and tie it tie it together at the end. So Proverbs today, I want to just, uh, well, and sorry if it's too low down here. We looked at this last week. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, which kind of sounds like a circle, right? If like you want to be wise, then you should be wise. Right? You want to find wisdom, find wisdom. But at the same time, it's amazing how many people Don't do that. They don't seek wisdom. They just assume they're wise. They assume they already know. And for those of you that are around 12 to 16, you're in that phase of life where you're just starting to figure out how to think for reals. And it's pretty cool because you're like, I can see it. I can understand it. I can put it together. I can even argue for it now and argue well. The great danger that you're going to have is to think that just because you see something and think it makes sense... Therefore, you know it more than others. And all humans go through this. It's nothing special. Um, Around age 15, 16, you might start to figure out how you don't know it all. But then again, you might not figure that out until you're 70. So uh, my encouragement to you would be uh, start right now with just believing that wisdom doesn't come from inside of you. It's not just something you have. Uh, Wisdom is sought. It is discovered. And there's different kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom which says, I know how to put together this thing that's broken. That's real wisdom. Uh, There's the wisdom that says, uh, if I go and do this if my life, my life's going to turn out poorly. Uh, That's real wisdom too. And then there's the wisdom which says, uh, the Lord who is God has made all things and knows how they work and can tell you how it works. Again, this is still law, but it's also wisdom. It can help you to see clearly in this life. And then finally, there's the marvelous wisdom of the grace of God, that bigger even than doing it right and having it work out, is God forgiving you for it not working out. It's not ever going to really work out. He's going to forgive you. Yeah, go ahead, Glenn. What I've noticed about myself is that I've exposed myself to enough wisdom I know wisdom when I see it, I know when it's foolishness when I see it, but I'm not good at articulating it to someone else to relay the words in the language because I now have a custom of using that terminology going into that language to describe what it is that I know. So, that's good. Um, You use the word articulate, which is fine too. Speaking uh, is a muscle. Speaking is a muscle, speaking clearly is a muscle. It's not just a pure natural gift, it's something that if you want to be good at it, you gotta you got to practice it. Uh, you, know, you might look at me and think, oh, Pastor Fisk, you speak so clearly. Well, I've been publicly speaking since I was in drama in like seventh grade, and then have been doing it 12 years as a pastor, yeah, I, I better be decent by now. You know. I mean, every week, multiple hours. Uh, multiple YouTube videos so you know you should shouldn't by no means treat me as, a, as like a measuring stick right um, the only way your muscle is ever going to get better at doing anything any muscle is by moving it in the direction you want it to go I told the story about pull-ups uh, a while ago in church um, and uh, it, it stuns me i I'm a I could not do a pull-up in high school and I was an athlete, I was a starter on the basketball team, we were league champions, I, I, was a, I was an athletic kid. I could not do a single pull-up. My body was lean and long. And in the last year, I learned that if you go to a pull-up bar and jump, you're already at the top. And then if you were to lower yourself down just as slowly as you can, which wasn't very slow at first, but if you just did that once a day for several weeks, you'd find you could do a pull-up pretty quickly. It was stunning. It worked. Um, and now I, I, I continue to work on them and do more or less depending on the day and how tired I am. But um, that approach to muscle training not only can help you work on whatever physical health you want in your life, but anything else in life is like that. Those small wins do build up over time. So when it comes to talking, talking about the faith, and this is a question I have about knowing God. I don't have it up here anymore, but as a, as a group, How do we become comfortable talking about our faith? You're comfortable listening to it, right? How do you become comfortable talking about it? And the only way I've ever seen that tried to have it happen has just kind of seemed very trite and manipulative to me. So you, you can, like, have a special class on how to reach your neighbors for Jesus. And you sit down, you get in groups of three, and you kind of do, like, paired conversations where you have to role play. Maybe that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just not sure that's, I I don't see that as the biblical answer either. It doesn't say get together in groups and practice like that. Um, I think the groups that we have that we're meant to talk in are our families. And that's not always easy either. I mean, ask my kids, how often do I start theological conversations at dinner? It's like, not very often. Um, usually it happens when they say something that's wrong, <laughs> and then I my fire goes. Like, oh, wait a minute. Um, but it's not it's not easy to, to make the Sunday afternoon conversation at lunch be about the Bible reading for the day. But I think that is where we're supposed to practice, uh, if we can. Right? I think that is where we're supposed to work on articulating wisdom. Um, the other thing, Glenn, about learning wisdom from the Bible and particularly the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, but Matthew is filled with wisdom, James is filled with wisdom. Uh, Jesus says at one point, wisdom is justified by her children. He says this to the Pharisees. Now Jesus doesn't have any children, right? I mean, all of us are his children, but he doesn't get married and have kids. So what's he getting at? And I think uh, the idea is that wisdom doesn't necessarily have to talk about itself to be seen as wisdom. When wisdom does things, those things show themselves eventually. They, they come to light eventually. Um, now, this is not to say that we shouldn't talk or shouldn't speak or learn how to confess our faith. But don't underestimate the value of a Proverbs-wise life to be its own kind of shining light in the midst of the chaotic darkness of our age. Uh, where people will say, wait a minute, how come it's working for you? And I don't mean working like health, wealth, wisdom. Sorry, health, wealth, And what's the one that goes with that, wise? Yeah, it is wise. Healthy, wealthy, wise. Uh, I don't mean like healthy and wealthy. I do mean like the world, even when it bothers you, doesn't bother you so much you give up hope. Even when things aren't the way they're supposed to be, you know where you're going and what you're looking for. As opposed to always grasping for the most recent new thing to hang on to. In this then, I think the most important proverb for you to possibly know, and I made it really small so you couldn't know it, um, Proverbs 1-7 is probably the best summary proverb in the entire book. And uh, I think a lot of Christianity knows it. Uh, one of the dangers, of course, is who is this Lord we're speaking about? If we don't if we don't name him, then he could be anybody, right? Um, yeah, go ahead, Rebecca. They on, not the same no, they're not. Um, no, they're not. Although, let's come back to that, all right? Because um, that—that needs some teasing out. Um, so let's start here, though. Again, uh, that—who is this Lord? Right? It's not just any Lord. Uh, do you know this this word Baal? You ever heard that word? Who's Baal? Anybody know? Canaanite. Canaanite. He was a Canaanite? Ah, God. <laughs> a Canaanite God. Yeah? You know anything about him? Something about a statue and worshiping, which is true. Yeah, go ahead, Trinity. Aren't there like people who worship God or who and, like, um, um. No, that'd be, that'd be a little different. Um, yeah. That would be more like today's Eastern religion and Hinduism. Okay. But all worship was more blood sacrifices of animals and sometimes people. Uh, he is a, 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 the closest I think of, of the kind of mythological gods we could put him to is like somewhere between Zeus and Ares. Uh somewhere between the god of gods and, and the god of war, uh, pretty violent, cow connected or bull connected. So when they are worshipping, uh, the golden calf, they're somewhere between the, I forget which one, is an Egyptian god that was a calf and then the the Canaanite god of the calf? In any case, um, he is the primary god of the native peoples of the land of Israel, who they continually are tempted to worship. But the thing is that this is not a name. Baal is not a proper name. It's just a way of saying the word the Lord or a Lord. Probably, I'm live on the internet, what do you need? Okay. Uh, don't start- Uh, I left you with Baal being the Lord, correct? Yes. So, when you have the Israelites worshipping Yahweh, the Lord, and then suddenly they're also worshipping Baal, the Lord, they're like synonyms, right? They're different words with the same meaning. So can you see how maybe the Israelites didn't really know what they were doing sometimes? The question was not the name they were using. They They were using a name that meant... God, although Yahweh certainly was a different proper name, the issue was where and how did you find this Lord you're talking about? Did you find him only at the tabernacle in Jerusalem where the Ark of the Covenant is? Or could you go out on the high places, the hilltops, by the trees and make your sacrifices there? How do you know this God? It had everything to do with where this God is found. And, and, and really, like literally, how is he found? So when someone today says, I love God, it should be the first question in your mind, where is he? Which one? How do you know you love him? In what way does he speak to you? Oh, I don't know if I should tell this story, but I have to, though. Roman Catholic Week. Um, So this morning I was very blessed. I was asked to be a speaker in town at the Howard Institute's annual life breakfast. It's a fundraiser for the Howard Institute, and it's a a pro-life event. There's 175 people there. The invocation for the event was given by the Bishop of Rockford. Uh, the closing was given by a uh, a former congressman who still lives in the area. Apparently, he was like our last Republican congressman and was districted out seven years ago, but he had a perfect life voting record. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, because you were there. Yeah. Um, and uh, and they asked me to come and, and give the 20-minute kind of keynote address, and and I did. I did what I thought was right, um, and so forth. But afterwards, um, along with getting to chat with the, the bishop, which was interesting, uh, there was a lady who came up to me and she really wanted to encourage me. She said, I'm a Roman Catholic. I work for the diocese. I do this and that, I do this and that. And then she began to tell me about, about I'm, I'm not going to go too into the details, but about the people in heaven who talk to her now and tell her things, and have prepared her to believe that she's going to be doing certain things for them and for the world and for heaven, and that it seems like it's too big a weight for her to carry, and she's a little worried about it. And I'm like, like the conversation keeps going, I'm trying to backpedal, I don't want to be like, hey, wow, that sounds crazy, right? I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to say you're talking to demons. I don't know. Sounds like she, if I had to, if I had to, And if you're watching ever, it sounds like it's grief to me, grief trying to understand itself. But the question again is, well, okay, someone talks to you in your head and says, I'm a person in heaven with some information for you. How do you know if this is the true God or not? And if someone comes to you and says, God told me this, how do you know whether that's true or not? Um, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember where I made this comment. It was in the last three days, too, but I don't think it was a Bible study. Somehow I was talking to someone. Where on earth was this? Anyway. Um, oh, I know. It was Circuit. So our our pastors in the area get together once a month, and we call it Circuit or Winkle. So it was Tuesday morning. And somebody was telling a joke about how uh, they'd been visited by uh, someone who came into the church, and they, they basically said, God told me that I'm supposed to teach the Bible study here now. So I'm here to do that. And uh, before the the gentleman could finish his story, I quit back. God told me to tell you you're wrong. (laughs) Uh, Because, but that's just it. How would you know? How can we say he's wrong? Do we have a way? I don't know if I've answered the question yet for you. I think I have, multiple times. But are you able to answer it yourself when the day comes? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The first step in wisdom is knowing you don't have it. But God does. Whoever he is, unnamed as he may be, forget Jesus and the Holy Spirit for just a moment. Whatever created this place, whatever put it into being, knows more than us. Straight up. And acknowledging that reality is the first step. Impossibly learning whatever that God might have to teach you—it's the beginning. It's not the fullness. It's the beginning of wisdom. Uh, now, yes, that comes to us in Jesus. Now, right? But there's a lot of wisdom you can find before you even get to Jesus, just by believing that that God knows more than us. If we approach things like uh, the discovery of the human genome and studying the stars and the universe with an uh, with an intentional focus on design rather than on chaos, we would be just marveling all the more at what we could find. It's our, it's our need to bend everything into chaos that I think has stilted American science right now. That's kind of an aside. Um, but acknowledging that he is deeper, wiser, more capable even than us. Uh, there's a study called quantum physics, which just means looking at the inside of atoms and really small stuff. And one of the things that scientists have wrestled with in quantum physics for the last 80 years or so, really, is that they can't figure it out. They thought they were going to figure everything out about the physical world, and then they found out that the atoms kept changing their behavior as if they were playing a joke on the scientists, like the atoms were doing different things that they weren't supposed to do, and it just would change based on whether you were looking or not. And they keep trying to figure it out, but they they finally kind of gave up on actually figuring it out with experiments, and instead they just started doing, sorry, math. Um, but math that doesn't work out and descends into infinite answers, it's called string theory, if you've ever heard that phrase, um, and that's the whole rage right now. Um, there's a few physicists out there who are saying string theory is a joke and there is no physics, physical science anymore, we're ignoring it. Um, well, why? Because we can't imagine that the universe is created in such a way that we can't understand it. That the, the God who made it knows more than we do. That he could make things we couldn't observe. Because they're just, well, they're too powerful. I don't know if that's helpful. But what I do know is that a fool despises instruction. So what's the worst answer you can give to your parents when they tell you anything? I do it all the time, too, to my wife. (laughs) Any guesses? No? The worst answer. Your parent says, you were supposed to do this. And you say, I know. You should go do this. I know. Hmm? I forgot. Yeah, I forgot. That's at least honest. It's the I know to me that's the problem. Because if you knew, wouldn't you have done it? So, see, you didn't know, but you want to think you knew. You want to say you knew. You despise instruction. You can't admit you have something to learn, you can't admit you have somewhere to grow. If you don't believe you need to grow, guess what? Then you can't. You're not going to. You're going to reject every opportunity to do so. So in that way, again, it all begins by knowing that God has more wisdom than us, and then admitting that we're far more foolish than we think we are. And once we have that foundation, we're, we're at least ready to listen. Yeah? Now, Rebecca asked this question about the distinction between wisdom and knowledge, and I lost my pen. Ah, pocket. Um, I mean, I honestly, in English, for sure, they're different things. But I don't know that that English distinction would necessarily come into play in the biblical text. I think it's more likely this is just being poetic, and it is all referring to ultimately God speaking. So, the fear of the Lord, which doesn't mean being afraid of him, just terrified, but of acknowledging he's God and you're not, that's faith in him, that is the beginning of knowing all things. But fools don't want to know that, that same thing. Yeah. There is, though, so in English, wisdom is like insight, and uh, knowledge is like facts. Um, so there is, I mean, we could talk that way, Uh and in that sense, then I totally spelled insight wrong, sort of. Um, the Bible is more concerned with with the insight side of things, but it's not against facts, right? Um, but the facts add up to something. The creed is not just a bullet point list; it's a story, it's a narrative. It adds up to something. It means something. Um, and so we don't want to get buried in an elementary dogmatism. That just kind of sees Christianity as a bunch of right answers. I do think that's how Lutherans are seen, by the way. Conservative Lutherans in America were seen as ones who say, we have the right answers, we have the right answers, we have the right answers, and then people look at us and they go, "But you're a bunch of jerks. <laughs> uh, you, you don't have a lot of mercy in your congregation. Um, you, you're standoffish. Uh, uh, as, as a whole, we, we don't come across as the most charitable, the most merciful people. Um, and and this is my fault as much as yours, but this morning at the, the Life Breakfast, we, are, we were there, there were some of us there, but we were underrepresented. Um, and it calls to mind my own experience at the March for Life. I've been twice now to the March for Life in Washington, D.C. happens every year. I'm not going to say 30,000 people, because I said 30,000 people about the people of Israel on Sunday, and I was totally wrong. Carol Dean called me on that. He, he completely got it right. Um, It was 600,000, which is a lot more than 30,000. In any case, uh, the numbers at the March for Life are at least 30,000 strong. And it's all Roman Catholics. I mean, it's just stunning to me, the evangelical world and Lutherans too. And we, The whole LCMS, the time I went last time, we had 200 people. The whole LCMS. Um, So, okay, we're right, we're right, we're right, but where are we? And it's not that the March for Life is the end-all-be-all of what it means to be a Christian. But... I think the more we get tied into... well, I don't have a catechism to shake at you. We better memorize this when we're in eighth grade and then we can be good and we can go do whatever we want. The more our faith is that, the less wisdom we have at all. The less insight we have at all. Yeah? Does fearing the Lord mean that you also respect Him? Yes. So does fearing the Lord mean respect? So the fear of the Lord, as a phrase... uh Uh-oh, crossed it out. is, ...is difficult because the word fear... I don't know. I don't know how to fix this one. Um, because it does mean fear, but then it doesn't mean fear the way we mean fear. Like we have no other better word to use than fear. And I can tell you it's not terror. It's not the fear that would make you flee. But neither is it just respect or just awe. It's it's more than that. So, the best I can do for you is is uh, is a story. Um, so, and I've never actually done this or seen this, but some of you may have. Um, the Grand Canyon, I hear, tell is quite a sight to behold. And apparently, you can get you know kind of up and and you can look at it and get pretty close to the edge and kind of look down at this amazing stretch of of landscape, uh, made by what? A river or the flood? That's a fun conversation. Um, When you're standing there looking upon this massive bit of creative structure, you're going to feel awe. You're going to say, look at that amazing thing. If your brother or sister comes up behind you and goes, you're going to feel fear. But it won't be terror till you're falling. <laughs> quite. But that moment was <gasps> when you really realize how big and deep and wide that thing is, and you like you, you feel it. That's the fear that is the fear of the Lord. You're not just kind of looking at God saying, "Oh, he's so marvelous." You're you're also aware he's a little dangerous. He's he's um, He's all-powerful. So we, we don't have a good word for this. I just I continue to search for a good way to say it. The New Testament doesn't even really use it much. It talks about faith instead. So whenever the New Testament uses the phrase faith, it's referring to the fear of the Lord. And whenever you see it in the Old Testament, you might as well just put faith back in. Faith is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise hearing what God has to say, because right? faith is always in the word that God would speak. I wish there was a better word for that. Fear the Lord. You know the um. I've told you this one before. The word awesome used to mean terrifying. Like it didn't mean good in any way, shape, or form. It meant bad. If something was awesome, you would run away from it. And so even awe used to be a harder word than it is now. Somehow it's really, really dampened. Now it's awe inspiring and all that kind of stuff. So. In any case, a little Proverbs for the week. Um, I want to continue with, we already talked about theology being our problem. Um, I kind of made the case you see the knowledge of God everywhere in the world. Someone's talking about something that connects to God. Um, What this means, well, how do I say this? Um, And it's probably too small, huh? What this means is that in the the creation, the what we are, the stuff we are, the fact that we exist, here, here it is, whatever it is, people, plants, animals, planets, stars, space, all this stuff, in that there is somewhere, somehow, a knowledge that it was created, that it was made. And, and everybody has this built into them in some way. The, the closest exception to that would be what we call the atheist, or what they call themselves. By the way, if you know the word atheist, you should know the word theology, right? You see that? So theology, knowledge of God, atheist against God. right? Against God. It's called alpha privative. Um, against God. Atheists say there is no God, it all just happened to be here, it's all random, it's all chaos, it's all chance. And yet if you if you let them go on long enough, you'll find they can't maintain that conversation very long, because they inevitably start talking about design. And they talk about order, and they talk about logic, and they talk about reason. All of those things, to be here, require something more than oops, accident, chance. Like Logic can't be an accident. That's the definition of not an accident. It makes sense. It's normal. It would would go one to another. So I'm not going to chase that too far, but all of creation knows there's a creator. What sin has done to us is it's made us discontent with that. And we as humans, rather than acknowledge who the real creator is, continually want to see the creation as the creator. So having fallen from our our trust in him, our faith in him, in Adam and Eve, We now continually are trying to crawl back up to him by looking at the world around us that we ruined and trying to pretend it's him in some way, shape, or form. Every false religion in the world does this. Every single one. You can can break it down eventually. And interestingly, the only solution to this was for that God to become part of creation, by the way. Right? Right? So who is Jesus but God joining the creation? But the tendency to want to see the Creator in the creation is not to look at Jesus, the man, and that that's him and that's it. Um, It's instead to look at, say, the trees and the rivers or the stars. And when people try to read their horoscope and see what the stars have to say about the future, what are they doing? They're trying to hear the Creator through the creation. Now, the book of Romans teaches us this in chapter 1. Uh, it, it talks about this idea, of this, this habit we have of we prefer to worship nature to God. And, and as Christians, this is in us still. right? We've got to fight against this. It's in our hearts. Uh, Paul says that men by their unrighteousness, unrighteousness means like their badness, right? They're not goodness. When we're bad, what do we do? We suppress the truth, fake news, right? We shove it down. What truth? The truth about God. He says what we could know about God, it's evident, it's plain, it's really obvious. We should be able to walk out any day and say, I know exactly who God is. He is the Father of an infinite majesty, the glorious only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us in faith. No one should have to tell us that. But we don't know it because we've suppressed the truth in our wickedness. It is clearly there though in creation. So so the the trees and the rocks, they're preaching that Jesus is alive, clearly perceived, in the creation itself. The fact that it's there should tell us it's not an accident. There is a maker, and even who he is in mercy. But again, remember, sin is the is is a is a a rock that's been thrown through the middle of this and has cracked it all to shreds. So it's not like we really could go out and find him anymore. That's what But he can hold us accountable for not doing so, because we ought to have been able to do so. We, though, our problem became futile in our thinking. Now, I'm gonna, at risk of really being, dating myself and being nerdy, are there any Star Trek fans in the room? One, two, three, Star Trek? You mean like the new, the one I showed you? The reboot, yeah. She's only seen the one reboot new movie, so good for you. You'd feel out of place amongst most Star Trek fans, I think. Um, so, no one else though. So it's really not going to work as an idea. Yeah, Bailey, all right. So when I say Star Trek fan, then if I say Jean-Luc Picard, do my three Star Trek fans, one knows, two, three, yeah, okay. And then the Borg, right? Yeah, we got a couple Borg, okay. <laughs> I know Star Trek right we're, we're alone. Fans. Yeah, well that that's fair. I can understand that. Um, you, you distracted me, Glenn. And so when, when the new, when the new uh, Star Trek movie came out, and it's not new anymore, it's, they've had three of them, right? When the first one came out, The Onion had a video, uh, kind of fake news on purpose thing, making fun of it. And it was all about how all the Star Trek fans hate the new movie, and there's this girl dressed up like a Klingon, and, she, and she's like talking. She goes, if I wanted to see really good looking athletic people doing amazing things, I'd go watch sports. And uh, nobody found that funny. That's incredible. Okay. I quit. Let's go home. Um, The Borg. The Borg are a cubist, half-android, half-human, cyborg, awful species in a giant block, flying through space, taking every race they find, every species they find, and making them half-cyborg and just absorbing them. And whenever they do that, they'll let you know what's going to happen before they do that. They're like, hello, we're the Borg. Resistance is futile. And kind of is. I mean, I don't know how the Enterprise gets out of it. They probably shouldn't have. Picard actually becomes one for a while. It's crazy. Anyhow, futile. You can't do it. It's not worth trying. So what's futile, according to Paul? Us. Just our brains. What we think, we are futile in our thinking. Our foolish hearts are darkened. How? We think we're wise. That's what I was saying before from the Proverbs. The greatest folly is to think that we're wise. And in that we are fools. And then what do we do? Here's again what I've been talking about up here. We exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And one more piece to that. We exchange it's too small, I apologize. We exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Right? For this reason God gave us, them, up to dishonorable passions, to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. I'm going to try to put some meat on this in a moment and get out of the theory. Um, but I I want, if there's a piece of like actual knowledge I want you to take tonight... Is that there's a real God who really has truth and even designed truth, but we prefer to, to say we're looking at him, but to look at some other thing. There's God, right? And not necessarily a, a whiteboard pen, but something. We like to look at creation and call it God. And we don't call it a false God, we call it the true God, the real one, the one who actually is, but we're not actually with the real one, we're looking at creation, Wendy, and then uh, Peter was waiting too. My eldest, who has fallen away from the church, has uh, a belief in the Big Bang, <laughs> but yet believes in a higher power. Um, well, you could squeeze the Big Bang into a higher power, sorta. Yeah, I don't. The question is why. What are you gaining with foolishness it? Foolishness and lies. Yeah. And like, I mean, th- what they're trying to do is is hold to the, um, the rigid dogma of modern science that says you have to believe in evolution or you're not a scientist. And don't question it. There's no questioning things in science. That's not science, apparently, which I always thought that's kind of what science was. Um, so they're trying to like virtue signal that, right? I virtue signal that I like science because I don't deny evolution. Um, but I don't like the idea that there is no God, because that would mean there's no good, good. And I want good even though I don't want evil. I don't want to say there's any evil, and I'm not evil. But I want to say there's good, so there's got to be a God. So I'll say there's a God, and evolution's true. And I'm not going to think too much about what it actually means, because all I'm going to do is what I want anyway. So it's like a shield that I can use to try to like keep away other ideas um, by spouting jargon at myself. Yeah, well... They would say they're, they're looking at nature, um, I think. Uh, I mean, their book is Nietzsche. Their book is Descartes, uh, you know, philosophers of the Enlightenment, who've proven to be quite bankrupt, frankly, as a system of thought. Uh, but I, I don't think that, like in that situation, you have the same thing. I mean, it, everything's doing the same thing. We're trying to keep God away. Because if God comes, we die. And he'll come and kill us and make us alive. That's what he wants to do, but we don't like that. We'd rather die in our own selves than let him kill us and make us alive. So we try to keep him away, and we grab onto anything we can find to tell ourselves he's not here. And we'll do that by making fake versions of him. We'll do that by offering sacrifices to whatever or what have you. We'll do that by telling stories and mythologies. Anything to avoid the actual God in our face. Uh, I, oh, I said, this Sunday or next Sunday, and my Sundays are getting confused as I work on the Old Testament lectionary, soon we will be at Mount Sinai where the Lord will speak from the fire and the cloud to the people. And he'll give them the ten words of the ten commandments. And as soon as he's finished talking, all the people of Israel look at Moses and they say, anybody remember this? Please tell God to stop talking. Have him talk to you, but not to us. <laughs> it's just it's just who we are. We despise the creator. And so we'll grab the creation any way we can and shove it between us and the creator, call it the creator, as a way of trying to keep the creator's threat, the fear, the fear of the Lord, to keep it away from us. Uh, go ahead, Peter. What about Star Wars? What about Star Wars? I mean, aside from being one of the greatest lies and disappointments of my poor and miserable life, um, I don't want to chase it too much, but I kind of do. Uh, you should know that Star Wars was my absolute favorite thing when I was your age. Absolutely, absolutely. And I grew up, and people with lots of money who wanted to make more money took it, And they made it something else. And it wasn't the thing I loved. And I finally just gave up on caring. But if you like it, that's cool. Because lightsabers, they're neat. And X-Wing fighters, they're pretty cool. I thought it was something more once. But now it's just Star Trek, but faster, maybe? I don't know. Star Trek with religion. That is interesting, though. Star Trek does not have a god. It's a very atheistic world. And Star Wars does. It has the force, who is An all powerful lowercase g god that holds all things together. And this is back in Yoda First Talk in episode five, which is the second movie. (laughs) Um, Luminous beings we are, not this crude matter. It's there in the tree, in the rock, yes, even the land. That is the worship of creation. That I am a spirit, not a body, and that all things are this God, and we're all together one, and growing toward what? Well, not goodness in Star Wars is apparently toward balance, and if it gets too good, then evil has to come back and make it all equally bad again. That's their whole system. Stupid. Anyway, sorry, that's, a, that's my bitterness coming out again. Um, uh, but But there's something to it. It is a pure pagan teaching. exactly what I'm talking about. They worship the creation as if it were the creator. Now, what I want to kind of dig into for a moment here toward the end, there's different ways of referring to the worship of creation. My favorite is to use the word pagan just because it's almost offensive to people, which I think we should be a little bit here, and because it's making a comeback. There are, like, honest to gods, plural, American pagans out there and they're proud of it and they say, I'm a pagan and I worship the ancient gods and I worship nature and I do witchcraft and all this stuff. Um, and it's, it's growing. It's not huge, but it's growing. It's bigger in Europe. Sometimes it's connected to various music movements such as various edges of punk rock or heavy metal. Um, so I don't think we should shy away from the world or from the word. Um, I cannot remember its root where it came from. Um, but I can tell you more about the, the wor- root of the word heathen it means the same thing, the heathen. The heathen were the non-Christians, the people who did not to convert who did not convert to Christianity in England or Great Britain. So when, when uh, the missionaries came up and they converted the islands, it mostly was in the cities and the establishments, but out upon the heaths, out in the swamps, They didn't convert, and they kept their old religions, their old ways, their old gods. And so they never really would come into town to go to the church, uh, and thus they were the heathen out there as opposed to the Christians in the cities. But again, it is a word that can simply mean one who worships nature. And I think, again, we should think of anybody who is not a Christian, worships nature, whether they want to admit it or not. I mean, the atheist says, I don't believe in God, I just believe in science, which means I just believe in nature. Right, you're still worshiping it, whether you think it's supernatural or not. So, pagan heathen, when someone says I'm spiritual, they also mean this. They mean I worship nature. Someone who says, someone who truly believes Jesus is present in Word and Sacrament, in in the body and blood of the bread and wine given and shed for you to eat and drink. If you ask them about their religion, they're not going to say, "Well, I'm spiritual." They're not going to say that. They say, "I believe in Jesus." You say, I'm spiritual to get out of saying I believe in Jesus. And same thing with, I'm not religious. I love Jesus, but I'm not religious. That means I love Jesus and I worship nature. (laughs) I love Jesus and I don't want to find him in his word. I love Jesus and I want to say I love his Bible, but I read it by myself so no one can tell me I might get it wrong. I'd rather be able to convince myself of what I want than be accountable to anything so that I can keep using nature to justify myself and keep the God of grace away from me. And then the classic term from Lutheran dogma is the mystic, mystical, or enthusiast. The person who says, I can experience God. I shall find God through my experience of life, and particularly my emotional ups and downs and feelings. I wanted an answer to prayer, and then a warm power came over me, and I knew what I was supposed to do, and that was God. It's nonsense. That was you. That was you. And that was nature, that was creation. The sun came out or you had a bad potato. I don't know, but it wasn't God. God speaks with words, right? So so the mystic is another way of saying it. All of this can say, I believe in God with a capital G and does today, but it doesn't mean that anymore. When you see, in God we trust on the coin, you should put a little G on the front and an S on the back, because that's what we mean. In many gods that are all the same God we trust. But see, that's not our God. Our God is not many gods who are the same God. The word is almost meaningless now. Yeah. 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 Interestingly, I think it's mainly Christians who want to say they're not religious. And many pagans will be fine being religious, which is weird if you think about it. Yeah. Um, What I believe these two words really are doing now, religion and spiritual are talking about the same thing as most people use them, but religion means group or public or there's an authority that's not me. So pagans don't have any trouble being religious in their little pagan coven with their lead witch or whatever. I don't, I don't know enough about it, you know. But they, they'll have a leader, and, and that person will have more authority than them. They're fine with that. But Christians don't like that these days for some reason. So we want to be spiritual to mean individual, unaccountable, right? Or even you might say uh, um, anarchist, an anarchist faith. Uh, I don't want to go somewhere where they might say God's not what I already think. So it's, it's hyper individualistic. Whereas uh, religion would be public group and unchanging them. Now the thing is, Christianity is both spiritual and religious. Right? There is a true for you individual faith, given and experienced. But it's also shared publicly with everybody else. So we're not either or, but most people, when they talk about these things in these two ways, they're not really even talking about Christianity anymore at all. They're talking about, they're, they're making a shield for their worship of nature. And they're throwing these words on their paganism in order to convince themselves it's not paganism and it's safe and it's okay. And I don't want you to go out and like smash them in the face. I want you to not be deceived by it for yourself. Right? Uh, t- don't buy into it. I mean, th- again, the lady that I spoke with this morning, I didn't try to fix her theology right there. I kind of smiled, and I nodded, and I waited, and I finally said, I think we might have a different view of how God speaks, but it's clear to me that you love babies and want them not to be aborted. Right? I just tried to build the bridge with her a little more, right? So I'm not saying go out and try to fix it. But I also sat there the whole time and was like, yeah, God's not talking to her. <laughs> nope, I don't believe a word you're saying, lady. I'm not going to. Right? because that would be well paganism huh? is she a pagan she I th- she's probably a Christian I don't know where's the line once you start listening to the creation and calling it the Creator where's the line how do you know and how would you know when you've left it that's the scary thing is is we don't necessarily know that go ahead Peter I want to I got just a few minutes here what's up what about mystical? so mystical again is the way that old Lutheran's would talk about, trying to find God in creation. The mystic tries to find God in creation. Whereas the rationalist tries to find God in science or knowledge, and the moralist tries to find God in your works, your virtues, what you do, your ethics. So mysticism, rationalism, moralism are the three different forms that we try to hide from God underneath. But mysticism tends to lead toward, again, experience. Yes, go ahead, Emma. Yeah, so why are those stones there? And why are they out of order? That I don't know. You got to ask the science institute who made the picture. Bugging me. So, this was the th- these were the tamest ones I can find. If you Google fertility goddess, you will find pictures you don't want to see. Um, and I don't mean like pictures of real women, I mean like pictures of statues from thousands of years ago that are just awkward. They're really awkward. But the, the crazy thing is that throughout human history, the tendency to worship the, um, the female divine in nature, in, in creation, is so observable so tangibly, physically observable that all these cultures develop these statues of a woman's body, is what this is. It's a woman's body um, as part of their religious practice. Every, every paganism that ever was eventually gets to this. But all was not alone. He had a shara with him. And a shara, if I'm not mistaken, the shara pole, it's kind of crude. The shara pole is a pillar in the middle of a circle, representing the circle being the lady, the pillar being the guy, and the type of worship that went on around the Asherah pole was just that, and you would go and you would even pay the priestesses to do that, and this was going to make your crops grow. (coughs) Ludicrous as that latter part is. The stunning thing is that it keeps getting made up over and over again, and everyone thinks they're making it up new. And it's, these are old, look, 30, You know, that's I think that's B.C. is where these, these things are from. So, so check this out, okay? This is one example, but check this, this picture. Oh, let's stop, i got a verse for you first. This is just kind of repeating the point. Uh, James says this in, in chapter 2, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown to you for this foolish person that faith apart from works is useless? So I'm just trying to emphasize again that saying I believe in God, saying I'm spiritual, that doesn't mean anything. you got to know who he is. And James connects it to faith seen. What's your faith do? And it's not that you're going to prove to yourself you're a Christian by what you do, but if as a group of Christians we don't ever do anything the Bible says, Or we reject what the Bible says, or we say I love Jesus but not what He says. Well, are you you sure you're on His side? Now, that probably didn't belong as much with this picture because here's oh I can't I gotta zoom in here. So this is as big as it's gonna get. Maybe that is right. S yeah Papa the Pope. Uh, Pope just means father in Latin and Italian. Uh, This. I think is the new one. Yeah, that's Francis. You got a bunch of leaders of the church. These guys are called cardinals. They have like, um, they're not bishops. So they have, they have two different tiers of superpower in the Roman Catholic Church. Bishops who usually have purple are like the authorities of various cities or whatnot, um, or even countries. Um, and then cardinals, you can be a bishop and get made a cardinal. You can be a priest and get made a cardinal. Cardinals are more like royalty. They kind of get put into the special college of cardinals house, and then they get to go and vote on things together and and be in charge and say strong stuff. Um, it's kind of the it's when you make it in the Roman Catholic Church, when you make cardinal. So this is an event called the Synod of the Amazon, which I believe happened in Italy recently. It, It it was October. I didn't read all the news about it, but there's a bunch of Roman Catholics that weren't too happy about this event. This event involved bringing in a lot of different uh, Roman Catholic priests and whatnot from all over the world, but particularly South America. And there was a worship service they had in a sanctuary in which they had some elements from the Amazon including, look at that. Does that look familiar? Yeah, I mean, these are much older. Uh But the shape is very much the same. Oh, got to go down here, yep. So, and there are other images you can find where it's closer up. You can see it's clearly a woman's body. Um, There was even later a release statement from uh, the Vatican, I believe, rejecting this after they had done it, which is good. Although I don't know how you ever get to this point, right? But what I want to illustrate again is how how slippery and unseen this stuff is. Here we are at the the most public Christian group in the world. When people think of the Pope, they do think he speaks for Christianity, whether we like it or not. And there he is having a worship service with an idol, an actual physical idol, in front of him. Um, It's always out there. I'm going to skip you, Peter, for a second so we can touch on this. I'm going to send you on your way with this one. We'll try to pick up on this next time. So, as we ask the question, who is the real God? As we struggle with the fact that we want to worship the cre- creation rather than the creator, so we try to figure out how to be faithful to what Jesus has told us to believe, the most central truth we're given after his resurrection is this this thing we call the trinity and it was so important that it was all anybody really talked about for the first 300 or 400 years of christianity it was the only fight that ever happened was oh you don't believe in that then we got to figure out how to how to reconcile that but unfortunately it's come down to us as something of a, of a math problem again uh, as something that we think we've got to understand rather than as something we just are given to believe, and that it's in the mystery of believing it that its real power lies. The power doesn't lie in figuring out how God works. The power lies in knowing you can't figure out how God works. God doesn't work the way you do. Now, these two pictures um, are completely different from each other, and yet not so different at all. Does any of them does it look familiar to anybody? Yeah, you've seen this one, right? Yeah, anybody else, Missouri Synod born and raised, it's got the three in one book? This is a Concordia Publishing House book, I believe it's still out there, I, I don't know why. I was read it as a kid, um, and it purports to explain the Trinity to you, um, and it tells you that God is like an apple, an apple has three parts, uh, the skin, and the fruit, and the seeds. Let me stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, Yes. right, that's exactly right. Um, so. But, but why, Mike? So here's your chance to practice, right? So if, if the Father is the skin and Jesus is the fruit and the seed is the Holy Spirit, why is that wrong? It's one apple. But you're chopping it into parts. What does that mean? The skin is not the flesh. The flesh is not the seed. So that would be like saying that the skin is not the apple and the fruit is not the apple and the seed is not the apple. They are parts of the apple. Right? So that, then I would have to say the Father is not God, Jesus is not God, and the Spirit is not God. They are parts of God. And when they get together, like Voltron, they become a complete package. <laughs> right, And that's also from the video. He stole, yeah, He got that before I could. So, this is wrong. It's really, really wrong. Every attempt to explain the Trinity is wrong. They don't work because he's God and we're not and that's the point now what about this one Looks mormon. it does look mormon how do you know that cuz it's kind of white and creepy it's white and creepy <laughs> So this is the vision of the Father and the Son appearing to Joseph Smith in the woods. Joseph Smith was the founder of the Mormon Church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which teaches all sorts of interesting and weird stuff. But perhaps nothing more weird than this itself. Because in this, you really get a picture of what they teach about God, which is that there's more than one. There's God the Father, and then there's God the Son, who is a God born of God the Father, but they are not the same in substance, and God the Son has kind of become truly God, but wasn't always, in the same way that you can eventually become God yourself and have your own planet full of people to show up to in the woods in the thing of light, and say, worship me and stuff. Um... So it's like a path to Godhood. Um, this is an official picture of theirs. I think I feel like I've even seen that in, uh, in or around. I once visited their, their temple in Nauvoo, Illinois. I think it's Nauvoo, Illinois. Yeah? Um, there's more than one kind of Mormon in the world, I learned that day. Um, they had a split many, many years ago, so the ones in Utah and the ones in Nauvoo are not, not buddies. Um, but anyhow, it's not so different from this concept here, right? And what we on this lonely path of Augsburg confess is something quite different. Uh, and we'll maybe pick up here more next week. I won't, I won't explain this much here, but with common consent, we teach the decree of the Council of Nicaea. Now that sounds really boring, but it's not. W- w- with common consent, we believe along with the 300 plus bishops who risked their lives To go to the council at Nicaea in 347, whenever it was, to defend the divinity of Jesus Christ and the triune nature of God, Uh, we stand with them and their confession, which is why we speak that Nicene Creed weekly or every other week in our congregations. Because that is who God is, is what that says. Notice about the Nicene Creed, who he is is what he does. I believe in God the Father. What, who is he? Maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ. Who is he? The God who became man, died, rose, ascended, comes again. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Who is he? The one who forgives sins, who builds the church, who brings the resurrection. Well, so we'll, we'll touch on that more, but distinguish this in your head now, right? I want you to take two things. The first thing was, if you're not a Christian, you worship nature. The second one is, if you are a Christian, you confess the Trinity, you confess that God is not nature. He's so different than nature, he doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, but he has entered nature and revealed himself to us in a way that we can speak. And that's a gift. We condemn all heresies which impiously argue that the Word and the Holy Ghost are not distinct persons. Uh, that would be to say that um, they are either forms of God, parts of God, all that kind of stuff, Uh Bible verse to go home with. I really wanted to get, this is like a little video where it's like fire is like going behind it. I thought it was better than the fight picture from last week, but uh, the verse before Stand Firm says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. It's Ephesians 6:12. 12. Um, the authorities, this is nature. The demons are in nature. They're part of nature. They're fallen nature. They want to convince us that they're God. Our tendency is to lean toward them. But now, in Christ, we wrestle against them and that darkness, the darkness of the mind, uh, by means of this knowledge, slash wisdom, slash revelation, slash truth, slash fear, slash human Jesus. Yeah? Um, Peter, you've been waiting a long time. Glenn, I see you too. What's up? Uh, I just wanted to point out that before uh, BC means before Christ and BCE means before common era. This is true. BC means before Christ and BCE means before common era. And BCE was inserted by people who don't like BC because they want to say that Christianity isn't true. And yet they didn't realize that they still start the common era with the birth of Jesus, which is a very strange thing to do if he's just a dude. common era probably should have begun with what? I don't know. Declaration of Independence? America, America, right? Birth of Nietzsche. So, yeah, before the common era, which began with Christ. I mean, it's it's really just a silly distinction. Um, And the common era is still the year of our Lord. Glenn, you add something? There's this congregation in Rockford, they have a mission in Byron that teaches out of the Bible, mm-hmm. teaches that there's not eternity, and also teaches that if you're not in the organization, you're not saved. So mm-hmm. it's kind of confusing. They don't would immediately worship creation, but they're not they not So I would bet dollars to donuts that if we got their system on paper, I could show you how they worship creation. It just it, it's not obvious all the time. But you don't have anywhere else to go. Once you don't have the Trinity, you're not going to have the sacraments. And, wh- and you might not have the sacraments even if you have the Trinity, but if you don't have the Trinity, you're definitely not going to have the sacraments. And once you don't have the sacraments, you have nowhere to go, except yourself. And once you have nowhere to go except yourself, you're going to find nothing but darkness, and so you're going to grip at whatever you can find, to try to convince yourself it's OK. This is why sacra- sacrament-less Christianity is also in great danger, because they must eventually turn back to creation in some way. And, and most of the Pentecostal movement already has. They're always searching for, for God in creation. Uh, the Calvinists are a little different. But they still they have nowhere to go but themselves. Um, so it's not like it's always a really crass bowing down to the statue. And yet, once you learn to try to smell it, you can usually sniff it out too, and you can find the statue pretty easily. Uh, uh, yeah. Wood and stone and rock are much easier to hold on to than faith alone. Um, interestingly, the tendency of groups that go anti-Trinitarian but still try to teach the Bible is that they will be cult-like in their behavior, meaning social controls, and a particularly good social control is to tell you that if you leave our congregation, you're going to hell. Like, if we all believe that, it makes it really hard to leave. Because <laughs> uh, your, your whole uh, emotional-cultural tie just gets torn up. But we don't believe that as Lutherans, Uh, We believe that you will go to hell if you reject the truth of the scriptures, which we confess. And so it's not a great idea to go join a a false teaching church. Um, But we do not think we are the only Christians. That lady who I spoke to today, I hope she's a Christian. She she probably is. She got really close to some weird stuff. Um, But I'm not going to say she's not until she says Jesus isn't risen and there is no trinity. But once you say there's no trinity, I mean, really, there's just no... We, there's no way to not draw that line at that point. You've really you've really left it. So it's not the most exciting ending ever. But we're good? Pushed over time again. Let's go ahead and pray. Goodbye, Internet. Goodbye, Internet. Goodbye.